Uh, I uh, wonder if you like cover versions of famous songs. In 2018, the Evening Standard in London uh, released a list of the 15 worst cover versions that have ever been recorded. Okay, uh, They're all on YouTube. You can have a look at them. Uh, Britney Spears with the classic I Love Rock and Roll. Interesting. Uh, Fall Out Boy with Missy Elliott did Ghostbusters, apparently. I didn't realize that. Uh, Madonna did a version of American Pie. That's pretty brave. But my two favorites, William Shatner, yes, him of Star Trek fame, did Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. That's worth watching. And then my absolute favorite is Take That with their version of Smells Like Teen Spirit. That's a classic if ever there's one. Cover versions that don't quite hit the mark. Now, some cover versions are great. Many are not. But we all know that for most, you shouldn't judge the quality of the original song by the quality of the cover version. And I wonder if that's what happens to Jesus. That many in our society, and maybe even us, we make a judgment about Jesus the original, because of the way we've seen cover versions of the church try and replicate the original down through history. As one author, John Dixon, who has written a brilliant book called Bullies and Saints, great title, where he looks at church history and he looks at the amazing things that Christians have done and yet also looks at the really not good things that Christians have done, bullies and saints. He says this, I love this quote, Jesus Christ wrote a beautiful composition. Christians have not performed it consistently well. Sometimes they were badly out of tune. But the problem with a hateful Christian is not their Christianity, but their departure from it. Christ's melody remains beautiful dare I say, unique. And when Christians perform it, they leave an indelible mark on the world. What he's saying is simply, the original tune, if you like, has changed everything. And so don't judge the original by the cover version that you've seen around you. And I think it reveals something that we so easily forget from this passage that was read to us as we continue our journey through Luke's gospel in this series simply called Jesus. Uh, and we're discovering, as Luke tells this amazing story, just who Jesus is. And we read the amazing words when Jesus gets up to preach. Let me read again, verse 18 and 19. The spirit of the Lord is on me, he says, because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, what the background to this is clear. Jesus has been getting a bit of a reputation, a minor celebrity, if you will for doing all sorts of amazing miracles, and therefore his kind of exposure, his profile, his influence is growing. And so naturally, when he comes into town, as was the custom, going to the synagogue, what happens? Well, why not invite him to say a few words? And what happened in synagogues in those days, there would be a person that would give you a passage of scripture. In this case, it was a scroll from the prophets. And what's noticeable, we read, that Jesus unrolled it and he found the place where this was written. 
What Luke is saying is really clear. This is what Jesus wants us to know about himself. He chose this bit of the Bible to say something about him. Because when he sits down, he says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And so if you want to know what Jesus thinks of himself, if you want to know the original, this is what Jesus wants to say to us. This is his manifesto, if you like. And what's interesting to me is there's many things he could have emphasised, but he didn't. He doesn't talk about love, particularly. doesn't talk about power, doesn't talk about victory, doesn't talk about judgment. All of which are in the Bible and he could have talked about. So important. But there are also things that sadly church has twisted down through history sometimes. But Jesus summarises his mission and his ministry by talking about good news for the poor, freedom for prisoners, sight for the blind, setting oppressed free, abounding year of God's favour. Now, I remember years ago visiting a friend of mine in Belmarsh Prison. He was a follower of Jesus and had committed an awful crime. And I went to visit him a number of different times. And what was fascinating to me was here was a man in change for something that he had done. And yet in prison, he was more free than he had ever realized because in prison, he'd had an encounter with Jesus that had set him free, had set the captive free, even though he was physically in a cell. Jesus had set him free. And what Luke is talking about is something called the year of Jubilee, which back in those days was this kind of society-wide thing that meant every 49 years, wrongs were righted. So if you owned some property, but because of debt, you had to sell it on because you couldn't afford to live, every 49 years, land was restored back to the original owners. Slaves were set free. Debts were cancelled. And it became mixed with this idea that one day this nation of Israel will be set free from all of these powers that were kind of squashing it down and keeping it captive. And they, as the poor one, if you like, in the world, would be set free. Jesus is simply talking about a rescue mission. And do you notice something? It is both physical and spiritual. And so often, I I think, that when the church has played the tune badly, it's because perhaps we've emphasised one and not the other. And so for some, they think that Jesus is just talking about spiritual freedom, which of course he is talking about that. But therefore, it doesn't matter how we look after physically the poor. It doesn't matter if we trample people down. That's what has happened with some church experiences through history. And other, the other end of the spectrum, sometimes this is interpreted purely physically. And so he's just only talking about physical care of the poor and physical justice in the world now, rather than actual forgiveness from sin. And it seems to me so often when the church performs the tune badly, it's when we emphasise one or the other, whereas Jesus is talking, as one scholar writes, his announcement encompasses salvation in all its dimensions. He's good news for the prisoner in the cell, for the poorest of the poor, for all of us. This is good news. That so often we get the trappings of Christianity and forget Jesus. And by religion here, I read this as simply what Google tells me of religion. 
a particular system of faith and worship, a pursuit or interest followed with great devotion. In other words, about me and what I do. Whereas here, the heartbeat of Jesus is what he comes to do. And that's why I love Riverside, that our heartbeat as a church is very simply to help people get to know Jesus. And through our practical and physical things and the way we speak, help people point to him. I want to show you something, verse 18 to 19, that just shifts the focus a little bit. Because as Jesus announces this, there's something worth reflecting on. Three times he mentions the word proclaim. Did you hear it? He's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. That word proclaim is two different words. The first time it's used, it simply means declaring good news, any good news. You know, yay, good news. But the second two times, it means about announcing something that has already happened. What Jesus is simply saying is, I'm now here, that is good news. All of this stuff, the freedom, the captive set free, the sight to the blind, the year of the Lord's favour is now here because I am here. This is not some system of devotion that we have to tick all the boxes to get it just right. No, I'm here, says Jesus. This is good news. Freedom has arrived. Friends, that's very different from the kind of thing that seriously does us harm and causes others harm. And so in verse 21, we read, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And I don't know about you, but I think it's very easy to get all the trappings of following Jesus muddled up with actually Jesus. And my heartbeat over even over these last few days is the prayer, Lord, just give me Jesus. I want more of you, not the stuff, not the busyness, not the events, not the programs, not everything. Jesus, just give me Jesus. And I remember when I was at university, we were talking about when Jesus became real to us. For me, it was when I was at university. I'd grown up in a Christian home, been taught really good stuff. But it was only when I finally discovered the depth of my need of his grace and forgiveness and the beauty of what he offered to me that he became real. That suddenly all of the stuff, the trappings, the religion, disappeared and Jesus became real. So friends, that's our prayer. Just give me Jesus, this Jesus. But what's interesting is once this has happened, this great stuff, this good news, this freedom, is what happens next. And we didn't hear it read to us, but we're going to carry on because what happens next, I think, causes a note of caution for all of us. Because there's a warning in how they respond to Jesus and the warning for us is very clear. Because Jesus announces this, and he says something at the end of verse 19. Let me me read it again. The very end of what Jesus says, he says this, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Now, all of that quote is from the Old Testament, from Isaiah. We know this. And that last bit is from Isaiah 61. Let me read to you how Isaiah 61 goes on and what Jesus doesn't say. Let me read it to you. 
So compare what Jesus said. He ended it on to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Isaiah 61 says this, to release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God. Luke doesn't record Jesus saying that. The vengeance bit is not there. It's a fascinating omission by Jesus. And this becomes clear when we see their reaction. So verse 22, after Jesus has said this, this is what Luke writes. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they said. You know, wow, what a preacher. He's knocked out the park this morning. Yay. But then in six verses, look at verse 28. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. Talk about a mood swing. From isn't he amazing to we're going to kill him in six verses. From I want Jesus, yeah, wow, 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 to no way, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> what happened? They love Jesus in verse 22. They want him dead in verse 28. What happens is they begin to realize who God was accepting, and they didn't want to accept that. I loved what Stephen said at the very end of his story. He said these words. It was like the blinkers had been taken off and I could actually see properly. An encounter with the real Jesus changes our perspective on everything. The blind being given sight. And these guys then had an idea of what God's rescue should look like in their head. They thought they had it nailed. But when they begin to hear about it, they become troubled. Let me read to you what Jesus says that so disturbs them. Verse 24. Truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years. And there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. Do you see what Jesus is saying? He was saying, you think you're the insiders. I've come for the outsiders. For the Syrians. The woman from Zarephath, just like in your story, in your history. And you wiped out, couldn't stand those prophets. And that's why in the rest of the chapter, Luke unpacks the miracles that he unpacks for the outsiders. And friends, this is a huge warning to me, to us. As we say, Lord, I want more of you. And when we think we're the ones who've got it sorted in our heads that we think we're the ones that can dictate just what Jesus does and control the people he does and doesn't show grace to and the people that are in and the people that are out. And it leads to a massive humility. Which is why, friends, stripping it all away as a church, we are people who are on our knees saying, Lord, we want to follow you, not our idea of you and where you lead. Which is why tonight, 
We're going to gather together as a church here, if you're able to join us for our monthly prayer gathering. Because it's on our knees where we say, God, we don't know. Have mercy. Lead us. Because we want to follow you, not our idea of you and where you lead. We need each other to help see Jesus clearly. John, who's leading today, gave a very helpful illustration to me the other day, which as we come to a close, we're going to respond. He was kind of likening this moment that we're in in society as a bit like we've been in a bunker for a long time, and as we step out of the bunker, the light is dazzling us. And for a moment, we're stunned because we can't quite fathom which way, which way to go. And like in a society, for 18 months with this pandemic, we've kind of, as it were, been squashed. And now freedom is here to a degree, but we're kind of dazzled, and we're not quite sure what this actually looks like. And the point that he was sharing with me was really helpful, that it's okay to just stay until our sight gets aligned to where we need to go. Because if you start running when your eyes are dazzled, you end up bumping into trees and all over the place. And friends, therefore, it's okay to just say, Lord, we want to follow you. We want to follow you wherever you lead. Just give me you. And then whatever that looks like, when you lead us, we will go.